0: Well, please stand with me. Let's read, uh, let me read today's passage from Luke 22. Luke 22, beginning in verse 7. Very important passage as Jesus introduces for the first time ever in history the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the Word of God, church. Please be seated. All right, church, let me begin by asking you a question. What if somebody came to you and said to you, of all the events in the Old Testament, what is the paramount event? What is the most important event? Or what event does the rest of the Old Testament refer back to more than anything else in the Old Testament? Of all the events after Genesis 1, after creation, what is the paramount event that more than anything else in the Old Testament, shows the people of God, God's heart for them, God's love for them, His power to rescue them. What is that event? If you are thinking Exodus, Passover, that's it. Notice when you're reading the Bible. Notice when you're reading the Psalms. Notice when you're reading the prophets that more than anything else in the Old Testament, the, the writers refer back to that event time after time after time. Look, here is the power of God. Look, here is the grace of God when God rescued you from your slavery in Egypt. Most of you are familiar with the, the, how, that, how that happened. Uh, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. God raises up a rescue, a deliverer, Moses. Moses, go to my people. Pharaoh wouldn't let his people go. So God began doing these Plagues that really uh, uh, were were uh, each one directed against a false god of the Egyptians. Uh, Pharaoh still wouldn't let them go after nine plagues. In the tenth, climactic plague, sobering, God says, "Tell Pharaoh that the firstborn son in Egypt will die. Every family, Egyptian and Jewish, will die unless you take a lamb." In obedience to me, you take a lamb, you kill it, and take some of the blood and spread it on the doors of your house. If you do that, then this, this, uh, the wrath of God against sin will pass over that house because a substitute will shed its blood And that lamb. That's called the Passover. And after that, Pharaoh finally got his attention, let them go, tried to change his mind, but God rescues the people of Israel out of slavery to Egypt. And that is the greatest event, showing the power and the love and the grace of God for His people in all the Old Testament. Now, for the rest of of time after that, the Jews, every year, would celebrate Passover. They would have a big meal. And the father of the family would stand up at at four different occasions with a cup of wine. And he would explain the symbolism, how this is all about the the time that, that God rescued us from slavery in Egypt. And every year they had the Passover celebration. Now, our passage starts with Passover. This is Thursday night of Passion Week. Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He's had this triumphal entry. And now on Thursday night, He tells His disciples, it's time for us to take the Passover celebration together. And He says something very interesting when when He tells them about it. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Why? Why, Jesus? Why have you earnestly desired to eat this with him? Well, perhaps it is because he's about to go away. He's going to go back to heaven. You know, he's going to uh, be crucified the next morning. Then he's going to rise from the dead after 40 days of resurrection. He's going to go back to heaven. And maybe it's just a special meal. You know, there are special meals in our lives. In fact, almost every event in our lives that is special, we celebrate with a meal. Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, wedding celebrations. And and it's just a special time because he loves these these guys. And he earnestly desires. But but it's got to be more than that. He's got to be so emotional because tomorrow he will bear the world's sin, including yours and mine. He will take all of your sin and he will, as the Father will place it upon Jason, he will die in your place. And he'll redeem you, but he'll be separated from the Father, and he will bear the world's sin. It's an emotional time. I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover before I go, before I suffer. And then he tells them, go prepare it, go prepare it. Problem is, is that he didn't have a house. You know, he had nowhere to lay his head. Uh, they didn't have a house, so they, you know, where do you want us to celebrate this big Passover meal? I know, you know, if we're going to have some folks in and, you know, we we need a place to have that, and, you know, gail has got a place, but uh, they didn't have a place. So, he says, do this, go into the old city. Some of you have been to that old city. You can picture those narrow, thin, winding streets of the old city of Jerusalem. And he said, you're going to find a man carrying a jar of water. That would get their attention, because who normally carried jars of water? That would be a woman. Men occasionally carried water, but they would carry them in animal skins. But to have a man carrying the jar of water would be unusual. Go into that city, and you're going to see a man walking down one of those narrow streets of the old city of Jerusalem, carrying a jar of water. Follow that man. When When he goes into his house, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the upper room for me to eat the Passover? And he'll show you. And lo and behold, it all happened. Peter and John head into the old city. They see the man with the jar. They follow it all up, and they they lay it all out. Then in verse 14, when the hour came, the designated time came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. Can you see those 12 disciples? They would include Peter. They would include um, Peter, who would deny him within hours. Despite his protestations, I'd never deny you. John, closest one to Jesus. Uh, they would include Judas, whom Jesus knew would betray him. All those 12 men that he had walked with, whom he loved. Now, picture it. Not, of course, like the tables that we sit up with straight backs, uh, but, but, you know, low-lying couches. Something like this. Imagine you have a bunch of people in your home. you got too many folks for the chairs. So you just, y'all all sit on the uh, carpet in your living room. There's low line, you've got some throw pillows around there, and you're all kind of leaning over and and, and getting the queso and the chips in the middle, something like that. You know, you're kind of leaned over, you're really relaxed. It was something like that. Now John 13 elaborates, Jesus first of all washes their feet to show them his heart of servant love. And he he begins at that point, he inaugurates the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Communion, what we celebrate every Sunday at the end of our services. We're going to come back to that. This is the time, the night before he is crucified, that Jesus inaugurates that and brings that. Also, John 14 through 16, maybe the richest part of the Gospels, he uh, comes, that comes that night, too, and Jesus talks about prayer and I'm the only way to the Father and the Holy Spirit and I'm the vine and all that stuff. Lord's, the real Lord's Prayer in John 17. All that happened that night. Okay, verse 17 or verse 16. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it, the Passover. He says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it. Until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Okay, the Passover. It's gonna be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I thought it was gonna be fulfilled the next morning when Jesus dies on a cross, because the Passover I always looked forward to the time in which God Himself would send His own Son, God the Son, to die on a cross in our place. Now, think with me, church. Back in Exodus, those lambs were sacrificed, blood was smeared, and God said, okay, I'll see that substitute and I'll pass over that house. I'll let that lamb die instead of the oldest son. And then for the rest of the Old Testament, uh, day after day, animals were sacrificed for the sin of people. But can the blood of a lamb or a goat or a bull ever really atone or cover human's Sin, no, it cannot, never. It was simply a pointer, an emblem, uh, uh, something to stand in until God himself would come down to this planet and die on a cross in our said. So all of those little sacrifices were just pointers to God because his blood, perfect, infinite, it can cover our sin. And no wonder when John the Baptist first saw him, Uh, the one who was ordained to be, the the, the one to prepare Jesus the way. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the fulfillment of every lamb who was ever slain. All the Passover meals pointed to Friday morning on the cross, and yet here Jesus says, uh, he says, I I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And, And he must mean, You know, when you get to the kingdom of God, there is going to be this great marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what Revelation 19 calls it. There's going to be a great banquet and festival, you know, meals, celebrating. There's going to be a great, we've talked about two meals. This is the third meal. The first meal, back in Exodus, that very first Passover meal. Second meal, Jesus inaugurates right here the Lord's Supper that we do every week. The third meal, the marriage supper of the land in heaven, they are all linked together. They're all about the cross of Jesus. Now, fulfilled in the kingdom, that is when the kingdom comes in its fullness in this way, because there all the redeemed will be there. So it's fulfilled in that sense. Jesus pays for our sin back at Calvary, but one day there will be people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, all together, and Jesus will be there, and it will be incredible. It will be incredible. It will be the greatest celebration ever. It will be a a million thanksgivings and Christmas meals all put together. Okay, Jesus says, I will not eat until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's pointing to that third great meal, the festival, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now he comes to it, 17, and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, that's just the sort of language he just used. He had just said, I will not eat it, will not eat the Passover again until the kingdom of God comes. Now, I will not drink wine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, there are a few places in the Bible where you've kind of got to know a little bit of cultural background, and scholars can tell us this. This is what's going on here. There was lingo at that time that the Jews had when they really wanted to emphasize something important. If they want to say, I am just dead serious about this, and I take a solemn oath about it, they will say, they'd say something like this, I will not eat until this is done. Okay? For example, do you remember Acts 23? Paul is arrested. He's in Jerusalem. He's under, a house, he's under arrest there. And do you remember those 40 conspirators say, we will not eat food until he is dead? What they're saying is we're taking a solemn oath. Sometimes they'd even sacrifice an animal, have blood spilled, say, man, we're serious about this. That's what Jesus is saying about you and me. He's saying, I am so serious about your salvation that together, one day in heaven, we're going to celebrate. I will save you completely. I will will secure your future. You're safe in my arms. Nothing's going to happen until we eat together in the kingdom of heaven. All of your sins are going to be washed away. I'll I'll forgive all of your sins. He's just encouraging them. This is a done deal. This is a final thing. Okay. Now, that was probably the third of the four cups of the Passover meal. Just about all the meal has been eaten, and he's had 3 out of the 4 cups, and now he's coming to actually begin communion. He is saying at this point, no longer do you need to do the Passover meal. This this should have been the last one in history right there. No longer do you need to do a Passover meal. You do a, a Lord's Supper, and you remember the cross. You no longer look back to the rescue from slavery in Egypt. You look back to the cross, the rescue of slavery to sin. That is the greatest event in the New Testament. When Jesus rescues us from slavery to sin. In fact, all the Bible points to the cross. At the cross. At the cross. At the cross. I hope you are not only Christ-centered in your faith, but I hope you are cross-centered. Because this is the whole culmination of history. When Jesus dies on a cross... And he bears your sin in mind. And he pays for it. Fulfill the Passover. And it looks forward to the kingdom of heaven. Verse 16, verse 17, verse 18. Make that 19. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can you imagine that night? Can you imagine just around there that Jesus, who is leading the Passover meal, takes bread. Of course, it wouldn't look like this. It would be unleavened. It would be a flat matzah-looking thing. And, And he took this bread. Now, for every Passover for centuries, this is what the father of the house would say at this time. The father would hold up bread, and he would say, this is the bread of our affliction. This is the bread of our suffering. We suffered in Egypt in our slavery. We suffered in the wilderness. We have suffered. This represents the bread of our suffering. Jesus shocked them because he doesn't say that. He says, this is my body. It's in our affliction. This is my affliction. My body, and it's given for you. This is going to be representing my body broken for you. This is going to represent my body Crucified for you. This is going to represent my body, suffer for you, because the Father will take all of your sin and he'll place it on me. And I will die in your place. I'll die in your place. This is the bread of my affliction. This is my body. Doesn't mean that's his literal body, it means it's a symbol of his body. Not unlike the way this wedding ring is a symbol of my marriage to Gail. This represents my body given for you. This is my body given for you. When I die, I'm dying for you and you and you. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. Church, when we come to that phrase there, we we come to, to really the only instruction that God ever gives us about how to take communion. The Bible never tells us how often to take communion It doesn't give us kind of, you know, a a set of words that, you know, be sure and say these words before you take communion. That's kind of like magic formulas. God doesn't do that kind of thing. Um, But he tells us our heart. He tells us our attitude. When you take communion, do it to remember me. Do it to remember your Savior. There's a great story from World War II, and it goes like this. In August of 1944, in German-occupied France, Okay, can you kind of picture the, the milieu of France at this time? Germans still had it. Two months before, we had the Normandy invasion, so it was looking bad for them, but, but they had not given up by any means. They would not surrender until the next May. This is still August. August 1944. Uh, there was a village controlled by the Germans, but, of course, there were French underground fighters, resistance fighters. And one day, the Germans lined up a bunch of the town's citizens in a, a, for a firing squad because of their, apparently they, because they cooperated with the French underground and gave them a place. One of those French citizens who was about to be killed was a 15-year-old boy. And he uh, was just uh, thinking about, you know, that all of his life's before him and he's about to be killed. And, you know, what's it going to feel like? The bullets are up into my body. And, 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 you know, he was just you know, you can imagine, can't you, what, what that would have been like. And, and the, the, the soldiers lined up, were about to fire, and all of a sudden they heard the firing of tanks back there. The Germans had to go and address this, and it was the American troops who had come in, sort of at the last moment, just in time, uh, engaged the Nazis in battle. After three hours of battle, every German had been either killed or captured, and those folks on that firing line, their lives were saved. Now, you can imagine how grateful they were to Corporal Bob Helmsley and those American soldiers who came and rescued them. Well, time goes by. And 46 years later, in 1990, uh, this little town of Plello, France, uh, finds out that this corporal who had led that rescue was still alive in America. And, you know, they're writing and calling back and forth, and they are asking him to come over to their village so they could honor him and thank him and remember him. And so he does. And uh, Bob Helmsley comes to that little village. And the man who led the ceremony to honor him was a former mayor of the city and was actually that 15-year-old boy who had grown up. And he led the ceremony because He never forgot the man who rescued him. Now, friends, um, he was rescued so he could have another 40, 50, 60 years of life. We've got a God in heaven who is so incredibly in love with us that he rescues us not for 50 years but for all eternity. And he did what we could not do. He took care of our sin problem. He died and paid for your sin. And He didn't just die for sin in general. He died for your sin. Your sin. And He did it for love. He did it for love. And that's what communion is all about. Never forget. Never forget. Remember. Remember. Remember with joy. Remember with gratitude. Remember with, with worship. Remember with, with a grateful heart. He died, for you. he died for you. That's what communion is all about. You have no instruction about whether or not you pass the elements or come from. No instruction about, do you do this monthly, quarterly, weekly. You have no instruction about what to say, but you have the instruction, do it to remember me, do it to remember me, do it to remember me. And every, every week we do that. Okay, that's the bread, the cup. He says in verse 20, And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup, now this would now be the fourth time Jesus would have stood up with a cup, He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And he would have held up a cup of wine that was a symbol of his blood that would be shed the next morning. And shed blood, it's not that there's something gory about blood. Shed blood simply means death. It's just kind of the proof of death. And and he said, he's going to die. I'm going to die for you in your place tomorrow. Just like that That lamb died back in Exodus 13, so that the oldest son would not die. I will die so you can live. And he was glad to do it. That's his whole reason for coming. It starts a new covenant. What's the old covenant? Well, the old covenant is when God delivered the people of Israel through the Red Sea, miraculously. Uh, First day or two, they go up to Mount Sinai. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. That was part of of a new agreement or covenant. We call it the old covenant. Uh, not contract, that's business language. Covenant, something more, think about marriage. It's a covenant relationship of loyalty and love. Think about marriage, not a business contract. The old covenant had a law, and it had priests, and it had spilled blood and sacrifices, and and you couldn't go directly to God. You had to go through this priest. But That was never going to be the final covenant. All of that was a pointer. One day there will be a new covenant. In fact, the prophets talked about it. For example, Jeremiah 31, 700 years before Christ, Jeremiah said this, "...behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt." That is Old Testament language, always referring, when I brought them out of Egypt, when I brought them out of Egypt, the greatest rescue. But all of that was pointing to the the greatest rescue of all when Jesus rescues us from our sin. He says, this is my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. It was all about a love relationship. I was like their husband. It was never intended to be religion. It was intended to be a love affair. He says, 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. It will no longer be in the tablets. It will be in their heart. I will put my law, my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall they each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their, their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. At the cross. At the cross, this was all done. You know, at those Passover meals, there was bread. Every Passover meal had bread. Every Passover meal had wine. And every Passover meal, until this one, had a lamb. That was the main course. I mean, it wasn't like our, you know, these are, this is symbol meal. It's not a real meal, of course. They had a real meal. And they had lamb. But not Jesus. Jesus. There was no lamb on the table because the Lamb of God was at the table. And tomorrow morning, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would die in our place, in your place. Friends, that's communion. Communion is the gospel. Communion is the gospel. Communion is is remember what God did. That God, this triune God, so crazy in love with us, but yet a holy God, and He has no relation with sin, He did the unthinkable. At a point in history, He steps into, out of history and into time as a little Jewish baby born of a young peasant teenager so He could grow up and die in our place. And then He rose from the dead. Now, church, that is the most astounding thing that, that we have ever heard. It is greater more fantastic than anything in fiction. We could never invent it. God came a man and died in your place, and he did it for love. He did it for love. And it's the gospel. Sometimes we might think, well, really, do we need to keep doing communion? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. You know, on on your iPhone, you probably have, if you're married, if you're like me, you've got your wife on your iPhone, your iPad, and maybe she's kind of on the, the... Uh, what do you call it, the wallpaper there, the screen, and you know, it's a, man, you saw that yesterday, won't you change a picture? No, you just get the reminder every day, because that's the one you love, that's the one who loves you, and that is your screen for life. I love the way that Rich Rich Mullins put it. Some of you remember Rich Mullins, old enough, he was a, a leading singer in the early days of earlier days of contemporary christian music had this incredible heart he uh, died young in a car wreck uh the the song that ben added ben did, did you know that's the song that i was referring to um i, I just was saying the first service that he, he not only wrote uh, uh our god is an awesome god but he, he wrote that song that ben led and kind of tacked on that's a song that on so many of my mornings my time with the lord it's the song that i sing step by step uh you're my God. And, and I just worship with that. And, and Rich Mullins had this deep heart for God. This is what Rich Mullins said about communion. He says, when I go to church, I involve myself in something that identifies me with nearly 2,000 years of people who have come together once a week and said, let's go to the Lord's table and enjoy the feast that He has prepared for us. And that week, I may have been subjected to a million billboards that try to make me identify with the thinking of contemporary society. But once a week, I go back to church and acknowledge that, through the, that though the shape of the world is really different now than it used to be, this remains the same. I still come to the Lord's table and say, Oh God, if it weren't for your grace, if it weren't for the sacrifice of Christ, my life would have no meaning. And, and I just love the way he put that because we are exposed to a million messages every week, day in and day out, uh, many of which are lies about us, about God, about life, But once a week, once a week, we do what believers have always done. We gather together. We worship the Lord. And once a week here at Wood's Edge, we go to the communion table. And we take the little bit of cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus. And we take this little thimble of juice that represents the shed blood of Jesus. And what Gail and I do is is we kneel here. You can take the elements and you can go back to your seat or you can stand aside, let others get around the table or you can kneel here. What Gell and I do, three services a Sunday, is we kneel here and if there are a few single folks around, we'll often pull them in too with us. And I'll say a little prayer before we take the bread. I'll say something like this, Jesus, thank you so much that you died in our place. You took our sin and we'll take the bread. And then we'll, uh, I'll say a little prayer for the cup. I'll say something like this, Lord, thank you so much for the shed blood of Jesus that covers all of our sin, washes us whiter than snow. And then we'll all drink the cup. And then usually I'll close with a little prayer, something like, uh, Lord, help us to love you with all our hearts, love you back. Um, There's no magic words, but there is a heart. To pause when you've had a million messages from the world during the week, and here is the one unchanging truth that is the center above all truths. This is the heart of the Bible, the heart of the gospel story, the heart of the good news that God in love sent His Son to die for you and me and forgive our sin. And we remember the Lord.